so I had a student who came to me when I was a seminary professor and said, I can't wait to start preaching and telling people what to do. And I was like, oh, that's a problem because that's not what preaching is at all. But a lot of people think of preaching that way. Like preaching is telling people what to do. And Christian preaching is not telling people what to do. It's telling them what God has done and then inviting them to live differently because of it. Hi, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast, episode 179. I'm your host, Mike Neglia. Thanks for joining us. Well, the voice that you just heard is that of Mary Hulst. And she and I had a great conversation that I can't wait for you to listen to. Uh, Mary has a, a long and diverse uh, ministry uh, resume, but some of the relevant things on it for us is that she was the former professor of preaching at Calvin Theological Seminary, and now she currently is the college chaplain and member of the faculty at Calvin College. And she has also written a book called A Little Handbook for Preachers, which was published by IVP in 2016. In this conversation, we talk through three of the 10 sections in that book. I get to ask her about God-centered preaching, about grace-oriented preaching, and how and why you should be seeking out feedback after your sermons or Bible studies are delivered. So I know that you are going to be uh, enriched, informed, challenged, encouraged by this conversation. So I'm going to get out of the way and let you listen in on this great conversation. I hope that this podcast and all that we do at the Expositors Collective help you to grow in your personal study and public proclamation of God's word. Okay, well, hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective podcast. I'm I'm thrilled to be with uh, the Reverend Dr. Mary Holst. How are you? I'm good. This is fun. Uh, well, you're you're. If you're having half as much fun as I'm having right now, then then I believe you. So I've I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while. As you know, we had we had a, a something scheduled and then had to postpone it. So I've I've just been like quivering with anticipation uh, for this conversation. <laughs> um, so and, and the reason why um, is because uh, you know you've you've written quite a quite a helpful uh, book that uh, I really want to like. Um, yeah, really hype or connect or, or point the listeners to the, the little handbook for preachers. Um, and you make the audacious claim that it's, it's what, it's 10 tips or 10, 10 steps you can take to make you a better preacher by Sunday. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. The subtitle is 10 practical ways to a better sermon by Sunday. By Sunday. Now, is that like lab yeah. tested? How, how that's lab tested, good housekeeping, seal of approval. Um, it's what I was looking to do is do a really practical book. So if you're like, if you read one chapter and you think, I really want to work on that this Sunday, it will improve your preaching by Sunday. Like, so it's not theoretical. I mean, there are great books about homiletical theory. And, you know, I say to like one of my friends wrote something like Preacher as Liturgical Artist. Beautiful book. Right. But I tease him. I'm like, yeah, that's your book, Tragan. My book is like reminding people that their shoes and their belt should match like that <laughs> level of practicality. Well, 
You know, yeah, we we need both, and 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 my my bookshelf has both has has both of those. I don't actually have your friend's book, but I have books like that. That's um, okay. Yeah, that <laughs> lost in the weeds and the and the theory, which is beautiful and wonderful. Um, well, so that's so yeah. So I, I'd love to hear, like, kind of briefly, um, but like, could you maybe walk us into or tell us about like your your first sermon? And I hope that your your belt and your shoes matched for that. Yes, that's that's right. That's right. My first like official sermon was in seminary, um, but my first sermon sermon that really kind of planted the seed in me was when I was in eighth grade, and I went to Christian day schools here in Michigan, and we were doing a Christmas chapel, and our class was in charge, and they, uh, I don't know how this came about, but either the teacher asked or I volunteered to be the preacher for the service, and uh, my mom had a book by Paul Meyer um, on the first Christmas. And I read that and I was like, this is fascinating. All this really great cultural information. And I had so much fun doing the research and so much fun um, teaching it to my peers and saying, look what God did. Um, that I was like, this is great. This is fun. Um, so the eighth grade sermon planted the seed and then the the seminary training kind of <laughs> deepened it. Sure, sure. Well, well, that's great. I'm I'm restraining myself from asking too many details because I, I can't wait. There's just great stuff that I want to get to <laughs> instead. Right. But like, what are the the um, in in the book? Yeah, there's there's ten kind of like ten steps or ingredients. Like, I guess to ask you personally, which were the ones that maybe you encountered the most, or that you experienced, or that you went through a personal growth in uh, the most? to ask kind of a personal twist on the book. Yeah. Yep. I think the one that um, I'm really intentional on with my own preaching is preaching a lot of grace. Um, I, I think when people think about preaching, like it has like, well, she's preaching at me. It has this sense, like someone is telling you how to live your life, like what you're supposed to do better. Like you are falling short. And I think it's a real temptation to do that. And it takes such um, muscle to pull the other way and say, actually, it's not about what we do. It's about what God has done. And I know that if I'm um, crabby at my students, like if it's, you know, late February, it's been a long winter in Michigan. I'm hearing more and more stories about students making bad decisions and bad choices. And I'm just like, you guys, come on then my preaching will be less grace-filled and it will be much more duty-filled. Like, look, come on, you know better, live better. And that's not the gospel. And so I really need to restrain that, you know, I'm their Michigan mom, they call me. I got to kind of restrain that uh, impulse and say, no, you know what? It's when we mess up that the Lord meets us. Yeah, That's when grace shows up. And I'm going to preach grace and grace and grace because these these students in my context, they're so high achieving. They have so much pressure on them. I don't need to add to that uh, when they come to worship. So that's the one that I know my impulse. Um, for those of you who do any personality studies, like I'm a D with an I on the disc. I'm an Enneagram one. I'm all about like do the right thing. And so my personal thing is Mary, get out of the way and let the gospel show up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as a I think I'm a one. I'm either a one or a five. My my wife tells oh, uh -huh, my wife uh -huh. tells me I'm a one, and I think she knows me probably more than I know myself. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say one. I think five. Uh -huh. She says one. But 
you know, funny enough, like I, I'm writing an intro to a sermon right now that yeah. um, I'm going to be given at a, a pastor's conference coming up. And, and I, the introduction is like this, Hey guys, I'm this, I'm this, I'm, I'm on this team. I'm on this thing, but I'm also a big failure. <laughs> and then kind of go into like how, like, no matter what, I always feel like it's not good enough. And, right. um, and then from there, I want to talk about, you know, the gospel of grace, et cetera, and, and how, how Christ interacts with failures. But I mean, like, I, I really feel that so very much often all the time. And it's like, you know, this is not some like self-deprecatory, I'm, you know, I'm not using some, some trick. I'm going to start saying some deprecatory stuff at the beginning and make them like me. Like, I really think I'm like the biggest failure. (laughs) Um, so yes, I, I, my condolences, I'm sorry that you're the second (laughs) way. I'm sorry that you feel the same way. Yeah. I always think like, that that could have been a little better. I could have done that a little better. That's like my, you know, yeah, I, I get you, my brother. Yeah, I get you. Yeah, fellow fellow ones. Um, so what? Uh-huh. So you say that like that if that is your personality type or maybe our shared personality type, um, you the 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 tendency when we have a microphone or when we are in speaking speaking on behalf of God in public is mm-hmm. to what come off like that or to to impose that same thing upon our hearers? Is that Mm-hmm. Is that what you mean? Yeah, you very much want people to do the right thing. Hmm. And and it can even come out of good motivation. Like, hey, your life is going to be easier if you're actually faithful to your spouse. Like, <laughs> this is going to go well for you if you are generous toward other people. Um, you know, if, if you're inconvenienced by love, your life is going to be better. Um, and so we're, as Enneagram ones, we're kind of mystified when people don't do the right thing. Right. It's like, why would, why would you do that? Don't you know? Like, (laughs) I don't get it. Why would you make that choice? Like sometimes in the States, there's this show called greed, American greed. And it's about people who set up these big schemes to get money. And my husband will watch it sometimes and I'll come in and I'll watch for a bit. And I'll be like, I would never even think of that. Like, it's not that I'm so much better or that's just my, that's not my particular character defect. My character defect is like, I think I could do that. Whatever it is, I should have done that a little bit better. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Well, so seeing how if there is an impulse, there's always do the right thing. And there's a, a frustration that comes when people don't do the right thing. <laughs> so you're saying that maybe it's really crucial for you to be a, a graceful preacher, to communicate the grace of God. Yeah. That's right. In my pastoral care, in my preaching, in my presence on campus, I want to be a person of grace, you know, so that no matter what a student has done or is into, they know they can come in my office and they're just going to get straight up love and grace. Um, That's that's the kind of person I want to be. And that's the work that God's doing in my life uh, to restrain the judgment, to restrain the, you know, not everybody has had your life, Mayor. And, you know, not everyone's like you and you just need to love people where they are. And, you know, just as God has done for me, that's what I want to do for other people. Yeah. So has that been a, a, a process? Do you think that you were a graceless preacher for a while or is it so embedded into you? Yeah. The need for it or. Yeah. I don't think I was graceless, um, particularly not in preaching, but I, I know early in ministry, you know, 25 years ago when I was like, well, I was kind of, I was really mystified, like why put people wouldn't make the right choice when they knew it would have such significant consequences for their lives. And um, there was a sadness around that. 
And so, um, but I realized the motivating thing isn't to say to them like, hey, get your crap together. Like that doesn't motivate people. It's motivating to say, God's with you right now, right here in this. Let's, let's have our eyes open to see what he's up to. And that's a lot more fun as a pastor to be that person. Um, it's a lot more fun to help people spot God. And that's what our job is, really. It's like we use the text of Scripture to teach people how God showed up then so that they can have eyes to see how he shows up now. And that's what I love to do. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. And I, I think from my from my tradition or maybe even from my personality type, uh, oftentimes in the earlier years and perhaps even now, it's we use the text. I, I want to use the text of Scripture to teach them what the text of Scripture says, and, and and that kind of is it. And and it's just like, well, we just the job is to you know, pastor, teacher, just be a teacher, <laughs> right? And just inform right. them. And I re, I've I've come to see that that is a crucial part of of the sermon or pastoral ministry, but yet that's that's not it. And I love how you were describing it's identifying what God is has done then, and then helping people to see what he's doing now. I might've gotten the vocabulary wrong. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. So when I sit down to write a sermon, the first question I ask is what has God up to in this passage? And what that does is restrain any impulse I have to read it through my own stuff, um, to read it. Like I want to get to this, I want to get to point C so I'm going to back up from C to B to A to get, you know, do the text the way I want it. And then when I say, what has God up to in this passage? It really helps me to look afresh at the activity of God and then frame the sermon that way. So it's around God's activity, not my activity, not the congregation's activity. But what, what did God do back then? Uh, and how do we see that in our own lives now? Yeah, Okay. And so much of what we're even, we've kind of landed on right now, like we're talking about like the content of like chapter one in your book. Yeah, <laughs> and that's exactly. That's, yeah, yep. like, that's, that sounds familiar. I've, I've read that before. Um, yep. So like, I guess on the one hand, like, why did you put that as chapter one? I think, you know, I think as a good, you know, uh, Heidelberg uh, catechism, like, <laughs> of course we agree that the chief end of, you know, like, so, so of course we start, yeah, we start with God. But um, why did you order it in such a way? And why is that even, sadly, why is it even necessary to remind preachers that if you want to have a good sermon by Sunday, you got to preach about God or it's got to be a, a God-centered sermon? It very much seems like, well, thanks a lot, Captain Obvious, right? <laughs> it really seems like that. But I, it, all of my um, chapters really come out of my experience as a homiletics professor and as someone who listens in the pew most Sundays in the morning and then do my own preaching in the week, hmm. um, I was like, you know, there can be really good, interesting, topical messages that never really talk about God. Uh, they talk a lot about us, like how to manage your money or be a better parent or be a better spouse or whatever. Uh, but the gospel really isn't about that. And so it sounds kind of funny to say we should actually teach people to preach about God, but you know, it's, that's pretty important. And so how do you preach about God also matters. And what are you teaching? So when, for many, many people who listen to us preach, their 20 to 30 to 40 minutes that they're listening to us is the most they're invested and involved and engaged with scripture in the course of the week. So what we're doing is teaching them how to engage with scripture. And so it can't be about 
us, and it can't be about them. It has to be about God. And so that's where my book starts. Um, and it kind of moves from what the, the big foundational things to the much more um, practical things later, like delivery and presentation and getting out of your own way and stuff like that. Yeah. So that's, and I loved how you, you pointed out perhaps in that chapter or a latter one that, uh, you know, a good, there can be very good and even true sermons that just leave out the main character. Yes. <laughs> or there is a main character and the main character is, is you. And the main character is how are you going to be a good employee or how are you going to make wise financial choices? So there is a main character. It's just, it's just not God himself. It's just not God. Yeah. And you know, that's kind of a problem. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's gotta be, I have a, my colleague, John Rotman at Calvin seminary. He says, preach about God, preach about 20 minutes. <laughs> and, and I just think that's a, that's a great little tagline. Oh, that's, that is, that's fantastic. And you know, I've these days, like I've, I've been preaching through a, a series in John, um, for the past more than a year. And we're, we're at like chapter 19, the cross, and we're just slowing down. And, um, and there's not that much about us at the cross. Oh, on the one hand, there's everything about us at the cross, but yes, right. there's, right. there's not like little tips for this or that, you know, or, no. you know, and when you get crucified, this is how to do it. Sure. You know, yeah. Not, that's not what it's. And, you know, um, a couple of days ago I talked about, you know, Jesus, um, handing, you know, essentially giving Mary to John and John to Mary, you know, mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm, I'm a kind of a research oriented person. Um, and, and I like to not just kind of read the books that I own, but I do like to just kind of like, you know, search on Spotify for random sermons. I think it's kind of interesting to like, to kind of be surprised by, by, you know, again, not just like the, the go-to commentators, you know, Bruner and Kostenberger and Carson, but like what, what's a, what's a random person say? And, and I found one and it almost just like kind of brought tears to my eyes because it was about the importance of like, you know, like looking after our parents and even, even like financially looking after those people and like tips for that. And that is like, I think that's like one, one spin out application of what took place on the cross there. But to hear it be essentially the main focus of the gathering of God's people on a Sunday morning, um, to hear a text almost misused, a, 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 such a holy text um, turned into something that was so, I don't know, pedestrian or something that like anyone could say. Any, most people agree you should look after your parents, but I think there's some unique God talk that the preacher has to offer. Right. That's right. Sorry, yeah. this is this is your show. I should not. I, I'm not trying no, to. No. I'm I'm amen and yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. You 100%. What? Um, okay. So so you say that for preaching to be good, it's got to be God centered. Um, mm -hmm. You talk about yeah, moralistic therapeutic deism, which is yeah. you know it's a. Um, I've I've heard many people reference that, but could you give us kind of a, a layman's uh, definition of what is moralistic therapeutic deism? Sure. Um, so Christian Smith was the one who really kind of solidified this concept and he did it as an out of interviews with many uh, North American teenagers and said, even if they've grown up in a faith tradition and he was interviewing students from all kinds of backgrounds, he said their understanding of God is really this moralistic, therapeutic, theistic God, uh, a God that's kind of there uh, to help you when you need it. Um, 
when I teach about this, I call him the sitcom God. So, you know, you have a sitcom character who gets into a bad situation and they look up to the ceiling and they say something like, hey, big guy, we haven't talked in a while, but I really need your help right now. Um, so could you, you know, that's moralistic therapeutic deism. It's God's there. He generally wants everybody to be happy and um, good people to go to heaven when they die. And it's just this really kind of passive Santa Claus in the sky kind of situation. And the danger is, uh, there are many, but the, the big one is there's no need for atonement. There's no, there's no idea of sin. You know, good people to go to heaven when they die. Well, who's a good person? Who determines that? Um, and who do you have to be better than? And so if there's no need for atonement, there's no need for Jesus. And um, that's a significant issue. There's also this big sense in um, moralistic therapeutic deism that God's big desire for my life is for me to be happy. And I have students who run into that buzzsaw all the time because they really think like, well, I thought God and I had a deal. If I were obedient, then God was going to do this or, you know, and they realize they don't get accepted into a program or they, uh, they were valedictorian in their high school and now they're really struggling and they're like, where's God? What is God up to? I will say my, my international students, so about 24% of our student body here at Calvin is uh, international. The vast majority of my international students do not view God that way. They see suffering as just part and parcel of the Christian life and God shows up in suffering. And why should their life be any better because they happen to be a Christian? Uh, very different understanding than the North American kind of small G God that's been sold to a lot of our young people. Oh, wow. Well, thanks for yeah unpacking that a, a little bit. And then maybe a follow-up question. So if, or since that is what most people think about when they think about God, is it enough? So you talk about God-centered preaching. Does that mean that we just say the word God more? Um I bet that you would suggest that we need to define who God is as well. Is that, yeah. Yeah, so I try to teach my students the difference between magic and prayer. And since many of them grown up have grown up with the Harry Potter uh, legacy, they get magic. And they know that magic is when you've got you the magic words and the right way to whip your wand and then something happens. And so they often think of prayer that way, like, well, I said the magic words and I've, you know, and then God should respond. And to be able to say, well, no, actually, that's that's not the way it works, because magic assumes you can control this force and we can never control God. Prayer is about submitting ourselves to God and having this intimate relationship with God and trusting a God we don't understand. And moralistic therapeutism is not about trusting God. It's not about a God we don't understand. And so when we preach, we need to say like, there are things that God does that we just don't understand. We got to name them. Yeah. Yeah. And why do we trust him anyway? Yeah. Right. That's the, that's the big thing. And so it sounds like, I mean, to use the, the current buzzword, you're kind of deconstructing um, the commonly held view of God and replacing it with kind of a, a vigorous, strong biblical understanding of who God is. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Okay. So we have, yeah, preaching should be God-centered and then also preaching should be graceful. So does that mean mm -hmm. that we're like 
like ballerinas that were graceful in our <laughs> movements. Um, I think you might mean something else than that. What is, what's graceful I for do. you? I do. <laughs> it's um, centering the idea that it's not about us, right? Um, so I had a student who came to me when I was a seminary professor and said, I can't wait to start preaching and telling people what to do. And I was like, oh, that's a problem because that's not what preaching is at all. But a lot of people think of preaching that way. Like preaching is telling people what to do. And Christian preaching is not telling people what to do. It's telling them what God has done and then inviting them to live differently because of it. So a friend of mine was just telling me about reading a book, The Year of Less, where this person just like stops spending money and really simplifies her life. Um, and, uh, and just the, the space that that opened up in her life. Well, that's, you know, that's why God, and that's what we get to do as followers of Jesus Christ. We get to spend less money. We get to give money away. We get to not be attached to our things, right? Be on your guard against all kinds of greed because God, one's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. Which can sound like, you know, what finger wagging, like be on your guard. But you can use a very secular example like the year of less and say, this is what God is inviting us to. He doesn't want us attached to stuff. Yeah, wow. I mean, wow. he wants us to be free. So God is in. So the language I'll use toward the end of my sermon um, is invitational. This is what God is presenting to you today. This is what he's inviting, you know, that this week you can give. Uh, five more dollars to the offering than you gave last week. This week, you know, uh, some people during Lent, like I had a student who every day during Lent, she found something that in her possessions she no longer needed and gave it away. Every day during Lent. Hmm. And just kind of decluttered in a really intentional way to say, I do not want to be attached to my possessions. And so... To, to preach grace is to say we get to live differently. Yeah. We get to live as people who are not afraid of death. We get to live as people who move toward hard conversations, right? This is what we get to do because of what Christ has done for us. That's graceful preaching. Yeah, wow. And yeah, that's that's gorgeous, um, like to, to consider that that sh- paradigm shift. And and even I, I'm unaware of that book, the 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 year of less. But isn't it wonderful to come across secular people acknowledging like kingdom values and absolutely and you know it's 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 great when the preacher can say, hey, listen, this is what our non-believing neighbors are only just discovering, but we have this wisdom that God's given to us, and also not just the wisdom. Right. I guess as we're talking about here, it's not just the wisdom to do the right thing; it's also the power. Uh, to do so. Amen. That the grace Amen. doesn't just inform, but also um, propels us along. And and then, yeah, in, you, in your language, we're able to do this now. Yes. Yep. Yep. It's like um, when I talk about Sabbath and people think like, I don't know how I can take a day off and not do email and, you know, simplify my life that way. And then you get all these secular leadership gurus who are like, you know what really works? Taking a full day off. And it's <laughs> yeah. like, huh, yeah. it's like we were designed to do that. Yeah. You know, yeah. fascinating. Uh, and to be able to say like, actually psychological research shows that God had it right all along. And this is God's gift to you. Um, that's graceful preaching, hmm. right? To be able to say, this is God wants you to have a, a life of flourishing, 
Um, so if you think that, you know, un unlimited sex life or um, spending all your money or trying to get the next rung on the ladder or um, seeking the absolute happiness, whatever that looks like for you is going to do it, you know, God's like, hey, I'm going to call you away from those idols because you're only going to be disappointed. Sure. Um, that's grace. Yeah. Well, yeah, thanks. So that's, that's chapter two of the book. We've talked about one and two. I, I wouldn't mind just hitting three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, <laughs> but um, <laughs> kind of as like our, our, our final like kind of piece of this is maybe skipping all the way to chapter 10, uh, mm. where 10 is you're kind of inviting people to seek out feedback for, for their preaching. Uh, that's, yes. that's something that's very important to, to me and obviously to, to you as well. But like, but why, like, like why, why should I get feedback? Maybe convince the person that thinks that this is a little bit self-indulgent or not worth our time. Mm. Why should I get mm. feedback? Yeah. Well, you need to cultivate feedback so that you know that you are serving your congregation well. Preaching is about loving well, loving God well, loving the text well, loving your people well. And you're not going to know if you're doing that unless people actually give you feedback. And the challenge is when we go to seminary or when we have some training in preaching, there are things that we learn. You know, we learn homiletical theory and structure and form and goals well, pe people listen and they're like, well, was it interesting? Was it funny? <laughs> was it short? Yeah, yeah. You know, they have a very, so the language used between those of us who have been trained and think about this a lot and the average lay person in the pew is just, it's very different. And so to be able to really get feedback allows you to say, how am I serving these people in this place at this time? Um so you've got a really formal person who takes a call to a very rural area. Well, you know, she may have done really great in her previous context, which was more formal or more urban or more educated. But guess what? Those sermons aren't hitting the same way now. Hmm. And so getting feedback allows your congregation to say what they really appreciate and say, hey, we'd love to hear more of this. And this feels very risky for most of us, right? Because preaching is a very tender thing to those of us who preach. We feel very vulnerable yeah. about it. Um, and so I give steps in chapter 10 of like the little baby steps um, all the way to more involved with your, uh, in our language would be a church council or your board or whoever it would be to a little more formal or all congregational participation. But you can start with a really small group of people that you really trust, you know, two or three people that you meet with like for a month, just, you know, once a week and say, talk to me about this sermon. What did you hear? Because sometimes what we think we're saying and what they're actually hearing are different things. Okay. Yeah. And so I'll actually, um, around the clarity question, I've got a chapter on clarity and coherence and cohesion. I'll have people who listen to my sermons, like, can you write the sermon down in one sentence? And so sorry, you ask that, them, you ask them to, mm -hmm. or they ask you to? Nope. I ask them okay. after they've heard the sermon, can you write the sermon in one sentence? And hopefully, you know, if you've got three people, they all have really similar sentences mm. because that shows that what you were trying to, and it's really close to the one that you had. Yeah, so what you yeah. were trying to say is oh, what nice. they actually heard, right? 
when I get stuck writing a sermon, I'll say, what is the sermon in one sentence? Because that helps me clarify my own thoughts as I, I mean, we always have way too many thoughts for a sermon. And so how do I kind of clear out the clutter? I ask that question. Yeah. Put the sermon in one sentence. Right, right. Um, and that's a really good baby step for getting feedback about preaching. And anybody who can write can do that. So anybody who's like six years or seven years old and older, and you say, hey, today I just want to do an experiment. You know, there are cards in your pews yeah, and, yeah. and pencils. Just when I'm done preaching, could you just write the sermon in one sentence and then put it in the offering plate? That will give you a really good sense of how people are hearing things. And at the very least, it would cause them to pay closer attention to the sermon because if they're trying to find that one sentence, and then at the very least as well too, it would make sure that you're trying really hard that week to have a clear summary. So this, I mean, even as like a thought experiment or even, you know, like the, the, the process <laughs> yes. of it primes the hearers to pay more attention and it primes the speaker to be more clear. Uh, yes. So I guess when some people think about like sermon feedback, they might think something along the lines of, well, for sermon feedback, I will stand by the door of the church and shake everyone's hand as they leave. Mm. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'll hear mm -hmm. if it was good or bad or not. But you have yeah. far more specific. Uh, yeah. Kind yeah. of idea. Yeah. What you get at the door is usually good morning. Good morning. You know, I like the sermon about, I like the illustration about the snowplow. Yeah. Good morning. Yeah, good morning. Yeah. Oh, is your tie different today? Yeah. Good morning. <laughs> like that's what you get. And that doesn't really help you grow. And also I'll, maybe other folks are very different, but when I'm done preaching, I'm like so hungry for someone to say something positive that I am, I am like not in the right mind to get any kind of feedback Unless it's like, that was amazing. Sure. That changed my life. Yeah, like, yeah. I'll take that. Yeah, yeah. But if anybody's like, yeah, I didn't really follow that today. Like, I'm going to be down <laughs> for the rest of the, for the next 12 hours. Okay. I'm going to be like, ah, ah. So, you, okay. So when should, when should you get the feedback then? If not, if not immediately afterwards, that's when it's freshest, right? That's, that's, that's when it's freshest for them. Yeah. That's why they should write it down okay. and you okay. can read it later. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So. That's why you set up a system so that whenever you're receiving the feedback, you as the preacher are in a healthy spot. Okay. And that's the other thing I'll say. This is really assuming you've got your own health. You're in a healthy spot with your congregation. Good, good, good caveats. Right? Yeah. The, the people that you ask to help you out are people who are healthy and want the best for you. They don't have an ax to, you know, pick. They're not, they're just, they're like on your team. Yeah. And you're in a space where you're like, I'm ready to hear feedback, even if it isn't glowing. I want to be better. I want to be better. And they may not be able to coach you, but there are lots of ways to get coaching. My, my colleague and I offer a, a coaching service, right? So um, we're, there are lots of places where you can get coaching. Um, and one of the things that we'll talk about when we're doing some coaching with folks is to say, tell us about your context. Who's out there? Who are these folks? What do you know about them? Um, and then how, do, how have they ever given feedback to a preacher before? And the other thing is the vast majority of elders, deacons, church leaders, they've never done it. Sure, yeah. They don't know how to give feedback. Yeah. And so my, my last chapter, chapter 10, I'll often use when I go to talk with churches about how to listen to sermons and I'll give it to elders, just copy off chapter 10 
and say, everybody just, we're just going to read this through together. Like, have you ever thought about how to give good feedback? This is the big thing. Like you evaluate pastors on, like, are we going to call that person? Oh, I don't know. She's not a great preacher, right? She may be amazing. And the other eight things you need her to do. Yeah. Yeah. But why do we not give feedback on this thing that is so public and so important, particularly for those of us in the Protestant tradition? Yeah. Yeah. I I came across um, a quote from, uh, Eric Mason, uh, recently, Mm. he says, if God Mm -hmm. has given you a talent, skill, or gift, we owe it to him and those who would benefit from it or pay for its service to nurture it, grow it, develop it, invest in it, and develop a level of expertise and mastery of it. Um, he's saying if God's given you a gift, like it's up to you to, to nurture it because people can benefit like in a lesser or greater degree to some extent, like based on if we steward the gift that we've been given or not. And, That's exactly right. And I think, yeah, you mentioned yeah, the, the Protestant tradition. I could even narrow it even to my own or we could keep it broad. But if there's if there's an idea of the, the sermon as sacred, which it is, you know, like I think that there is like a, a sacredness to, to the sermon, but also it's very human as well. And yes. like yep. I wouldn't be be doing a podcast about how to like improve and grow as, as a preacher, if it wasn't something that people had like some kind of, you know, culpability in or ability to grow or, or, or decrease. So that's right. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a divine act and it's been entrusted to us. And so like, I don't know, woe to us if we don't do the work to improve. And that means not just, you know, reading the book from Tim Keller or reading the book from your friend about the, the, preacher as um sacred tapestry what, what liturgical was artist yes. yeah liturgical artist sorry <laughs> um, like yes we should have our, this personal study to want to improve but why not consult with the people who we inflict our sermons on week after week is there is there any that's right yeah yeah because that's right i think yeah keller and your friend and the others like they have a certain really noble goals but but the hearers that live in our communities they have something to say. And I think that we should give space and listen. I also appreciate that you said that, you know, we, the preacher need to be like in an emotionally healthy spot. And then there, Mm -hmm. you know, and also to kind of maybe give weight to certain voices more than other voices. um, Mm -hmm. Because some people can just use it as a, as a, a tool to hurt. However, most people probably don't in most situations in most churches and most times. Yep. Well, I had it in my list of uh, my little question here. I was going to ask you about preacher2preacher.net, but you you mentioned it a little bit earlier, but I, I want to come back. Like you mentioned that you have this kind of coaching resource. Um, can you tell us more about it? Yeah. Yeah. My, my colleague, Mindy Smith, and I um, started this about a year ago. She and I um, met because she was working on her dissertation about women who preach and she knew somebody who knew me. And so she interviewed me for her dissertation. Um, long story short, we, we now do this together. Um, and we started with a cohort of women. She had a grant. She works on the other side of the country, um, in an office of church engagement. And she had a grant to work with cohorts of women preachers. And so that's how we started. And then as we were talking with people who heard that we did this, they said, Oh, would you do that with me? And we said, oh, well, sure, we could figure that out. And so we started PreacherToPreacher.net, and um, we offer coaching. It's the two of us. So you get one, like, 30-minute. You can meet us, see if you like us. Sure. We can see if we like you. Um, and then and it's, that one's you know, free. You can, 
That one's free. The first one's free. <laughs> the first free. one's always we free. Yeah, the drug yeah. dealers of preaching. The first one's free. Um, but then from there, we you submit to us two sermons. We each watch them, and then the two of us and you have a conversation. And because, you know, Mindy's on the West Coast, I'm on the East Coast, we've done it in all kinds of time zones with different people, and we've all learned how to do that really well in the last year. Um, and so we're really open. We love, and then we'll talk about, you know, what was this like for you? And um, here's what we heard in the sermon. So we talk about everything from, um, we're watching it. So we're talking about delivery. We're talking about attire. We're talking about all the mic stands you have around you that really distract, um, as well as content. And like, hey, you, you were doing great and then you never applied it. There was no application for your sermon. So we learned something, but we're not quite sure what to do with it, right? So we're really, really practical. And then, you know, we'll do it again. Two more sermons, like maybe four to six weeks later and just say, what were you working on here? What were you hoping to do? And how did it go? And so if you're not in a place right now where you think I've got folks in my congregation or in my context who can help me, or they don't really even know what to listen for, we can help. We, we, we love it. Um, uh, if you've got professional development money or continuing ed money that you need to use. Um, but we really just love to cheer on preachers. And um, like this conversation we had with someone yesterday, we were talking about a, she had a challenging church member and just was making some things hard. And so we just, you know, Minnie's been a pastor. I've been, so we also just did some pastoral care with this preacher about, you know, how do you move toward this hard thing? And how does this impact? Because we all have it when we stand up in front and we see that person who's been kind of annoying to us and we have to love them and preach the grace and good news of Jesus to them. So, so it's, you know, preaching is a really multi-layered enterprise. Yeah, it sure is. And it's, yeah, probably better to be watching a video than to just be listening to an audio, but even realizing the limitations of even that, because there's, there's the relationship in the room, which you just kind of referenced one of the more challenging ones too, but it's, it's the connecting of the sermon itself with like the songs that took place beforehand or even the sacraments after or at whatever the place is. So it's, it's one piece and realizing the limitations of it, but let's do all that we can to make it as, as good as possible. I think I, I heard you say somewhere that, you know, God can use bad sermons, but like, but w- let's try to give him good sermons to, to work with. Uh, <laughs> let's do what right. we can to, to have that's it be right. a, a noble offering. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, that's, that's good. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like with the expositors collective, we have training weekends. We try to like connect people with like this kind of like mentorship relationships. Yes. Um, yes. you know, I just recently was listening to a, a sermon from somebody in Switzerland and uh, it's been really great to be able to, to listen, to be making the notes, to, to see some things, you know, this guy is just getting started. So he, he made a lot of the mistakes oh, yeah. that I used to make. Um, and to be able to say, you know, I remember when I made that exact mistake and, and he, you know, you don't need to explain all the ins and outs of the Samaritan and Israelite relationships. Um, you can summarize it in about a sentence and a half. Um, uh-huh. and, and, uh-huh. and they trust you. You don't have, it's not a research paper. You don't have to prove it. Um, you can just say it. And if anyone has any questions, you can unpack it afterwards perhaps. But so that was something, you know, where I, I was giving some coaching on that. There's no need to spend that much time developing something. Just, you can state it one sentence support, and then move on. 
So I think that's really great. And it may be for the person listening that doesn't have access to somebody maybe older or more experienced. Um, well, here's one right here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Preacher to preacher.net. The, the first one's free. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, well, that's that's. I really I really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, God centered preaching, graceful preaching, and then this kind of like feedback that that is so vital. Um, is there anything that you've been like waiting for me to ask, or is there anything else you want to 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 add at the conclusion of this, Mary? I just want preachers to know that what you do matters for the kingdom, and it's hard work. This year has been incredibly hard, um, so just know that. Um, there's a lot of seed planting we do and we don't get to see the harvest, but it's our, you know, God doesn't, is not worried about our success. He's pays attention to our faithfulness. And so uh, I just want to just give everybody like high fives and ringing the cowbell and way to go team. Like you made it through a really hard year. We're still stumbling our way out of it. Um, and I know it was hard. But what you did mattered for the kingdom. Your faithfulness um, matters for the kingdom. God sees it. He honors it. He loves you. Uh, So don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Wow. Well, kind of on that note, would you mind praying, praying for us, praying for the preachers that are listening? Happy to. Lord, what what a hard and holy call it is to preach your word. And yet, for many of us, it's what brings us so much joy because we love your word and we love your people and we love you. And so I pray over these preachers, Lord, any preacher who's listening right now, that if they're on, uh, they're just unsure about this coming Sunday, you, Holy Spirit, would give them just a prompt, an illustration, a thought, a sentence that will bring some clarity. For anyone who's discerning a call to preaching, Uh, God, I pray that you put other people in their lives who can direct and guide them, can affirm if this is for them or if there's something else. Lord, we are grateful for your word. Uh, We know that it does not go out without doing what you want to accomplish for it. And so we also pray as preachers that you give us eyes to see those little sprouts when we plant the seeds. You give us hope that harvest will come. And maybe again and again, you actually let us see that harvest, see that life that's changed, see that person who comes to faith or deepens faith or has a renewing of faith. And Lord, for our own, we always preach to ourselves. And so renew our own faith through our preaching and deepen our love for you and for our people. And we ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, amen and amen. Thank you so much, Mary. I really enjoyed that conversation. And uh, some of the links to the uh, Preacher to Preacher resource and, of course, her book are going to be available in the show notes. And I don't know if you guys know this or not, but every week I try to compile some like similarly themed episodes of the podcast. We've been going for about three years at this point. So there's quite the back catalog of episodes. So it's always worth checking to see the previous episodes and how they even have informed and are connected to the contemporary ones. I do want to highlight one episode that um, you can find in the show notes. It was just from a couple months ago, but it was from John Stark, 
uh, in Manhattan, the pastor of Apostles Church in Manhattan. We had a long and thoughtful conversation about seeking feedback. And Mary gave some really concrete suggestions. And John has even more different ideas on not just the why, but the how that you can be seeking out feedback from those who listen to your preaching week in and week out. So that's a previous episode that I highly recommend as a great supplement to the one that you just heard. Okay, I'm going to leave you with an invitation to our in-person training weekend, which is taking place September 17th and 18th. It's all good and well to listen to the podcast, but if you really want to improve, we would love to spend some time with you face-to-face in Colorado. So here's Nick Cady to invite you to his beloved state of Colorado in September. This is Nick Cady inviting you to the Expositors Collective Training Weekend coming up on September 17th and 18th in Colorado Springs, Colorado. This will be our first in-person gathering since the pandemic, and we are so excited to get together again for this 24-hour immersive experience, which will help you grow in your private study and your public proclamation of God's Word. We also have an option this time for you to join us online if you aren't able to come in person. This event is open to men and women ages 18 through 34, who want to grow in their ability to preach and teach the Bible. We'll have everything from outlining help to sermon prep resources. We'll be learning in small groups with hands-on application and help from seasoned Bible teachers. You don't want to miss it. September 17th and 18th in Colorado Springs. More information and registration is available on our website, expositorscollective.com. Hope to see you there.